Extra support for this episode of Heat Treat Radio is provided by the Industrial Heating Equipment Association, IEA, where leading companies in the thermal processing industry meet to discuss ways of advancing the industry. IEA, on the web at www.ihea.org. Therm Process, the largest heat treating trade show in the world, is just around the corner as of the original airing of this heat treat radio episode in mid-June 2019. And there is no better way to prepare for that event than to spend some time talking with someone in the heat treat industry who has a uniquely global perspective. Hi, and thanks for joining us. I'm your heat treat radio host and publisher of Heat Treat Today, Doug Glenn. And the gentleman we're talking to today has been in the industry for over 30 years and is CEO of over 30 metals-related companies around the globe, many involved directly in the North American heat treat market. You'd recognize many of the company names. Take, for example, InductoHeat, Raydyne, Thermatool, Banyard, as well as Consark and PBT. Today, We'll talk about international heat treating megatrends with our guest. I'm Gary Doyon, President and CEO of the Inductor Therm Group. Before we get to Gary, let me remind you that you can keep current with all things heat treating by visiting Heat Treat Today's website, www.heattreattoday.com, or by receiving one of our many e-newsletters. You can subscribe by visiting our website, and if you'd like more information on Therm Process, that huge heat treat show I mentioned at the beginning of today's podcast, jump on your browser and go to www.thermprocess-online.com. You can also Google Heat Treat Radio Therm Process and be taken directly to a previous episode of Heat Treat Radio where we interviewed Ava Rowe. Hi, Doc. That's Ava from Temperatures. On today's episode, in anticipation of Therm Process, which is being held in Dusseldorf, Germany on June 25 through 29, we're going to talk with Gary Doyen, one of the most qualified individuals in the heat treat industry, to discuss international megatrends. Our conversation is fast-paced and wide-ranging, covering topics as diverse as cybersecurity, immigration, the impact of electric vehicles on the heat treat supply chain, and Brexit. Let's get started. First, let's hear a bit more about the man, Gary Doyen. My name is Gary Doyen. I've been with Inductotherm Group for 33 years. Uh, started off in sales in Connecticut at a company called Thermatool and progressed up through um, operations. Wanted to learn how to build stuff. Uh, took over a Thermatool Group, which was uh, a number of companies, and then eventually got into the management of the Inductotherm Group, which is some 40 companies around the world, and today my title is president and CEO of that, of that group. First question for Gary. Geographically, where do you anticipate higher than average and lower than average growth in the heat treat world over the next five to 10 years? Geographically, I think the above average is going to be seen in the next five to 10 years in North America for sure, Asia, uh, India especially. Uh, Brazil, if it can get its political identity issues under its belt, uh, not above average uh, Europe, Middle East, and Africa. In the above average group, you said, especially India. Why is that? 
Well, India right now is a 6% GDP growth uh, year on year, and it's going to grow up from there. If you, if you visit India, you'll see infrastructure is poor, and they're investing a lot in it. Um, they are making a ton of cars. They're getting into uh, the possibility of, air, of uh, aerospace manufacturing of parts, land-based turbines, and things of that nature. They want to become more self-sufficient on all the infrastructure needs, which means metal production of the utmost uh, volume. And their foundry and steelmaking businesses are rising incredibly fast. Let's move from geography to technology. Where do you see above average activity? Where below average activity? So technically, I think powder metallurgy and 3D printing probably have the largest potential impact on thermal processors from a, disrupt, uh, from a disruption standpoint. So the, the composition of the steels and metals used in 3D or powders affect the heat treating practices because what's good for part making may not be good for heat treating. So today, the regular methods of part making like uh, forging or casting are cheaper in volume, but they're not as flexible in the design change of parts. So I see that the pace of design changes is slowing down, especially in automotive, because the automotive producers seem to be actually practicing standardization in powertrain and frame and engine programs. So this may mean that um, the flexibility of 3D powders is less valuable, while volume producing by traditional methods will stay more economical, and we'll have to see what happens about that. Interesting. You say the pace of design change is slowing down, especially in the automotive industry? I believe that. Yeah, I, I believe that the car makers internationally have decided to standardize and, and, um, and do less design changes, which means they'll increase the volume of parts per their vehicle um, spect uh, spectrum. And so that's good for thermal processors today because they may be able to use the same processes they have in place for years to come. How about the evolution of electric vehicles? The uh, evolution of electric vehicles will, I think it will cause a shift in the types of metal parts that are heat treated. You'll go to much more gears versus uh, crankshafts, camshafts, things like that. But it seems to me that the EV progress is going to be dictated more by the two larger issues. One is the ability to produce better battery technology for longer trips and for faster charges. And what comes with that is the faster you charge, uh, the larger the electrical peak load is needed. So the whole issue of the electrical grid sizing for peak load or how to charge for the higher demand charge that comes with rapid charging, this all remains to be seen. If, the, if they can't get over those subjects, um, then, then I think EV evolution is going to be stagnated. And then there's the big one, which is recycling of the batteries. So as far as uh, thermal producers, thermal processors getting into uh, uh, gear, heat treating, et cetera, et cetera, that may or may not um, elevate as fast as they may think, depending on these issues, in my opinion. I think another technical uh, slash um, situational uh, event that's happening is the, the worries or legislation on climate change, because I think it may have an impact on the thermal processors, especially the gas-fired or the flame-type systems people. Uh, despite the science that they've put in uh, for uh, minimizing uh, any sort of output from those kind of processes, because perception's reality on furnaces. So again, on, on that, we will see what happens. The other issue that I think um, uh, we, we should bring up is composites. I think composites will always have a place, right? 
But the recycling ability of these also flies in the face of climate change worries. So the, the ability to recycle metals easily, in my opinion, will always be a natural positive for metals, which then affects uh, uh, metal processors. So it sounds like environmental concerns will act more as a restraint than a stimulant on the growth of electric vehicles in the next decade, due primarily to the recyclability issue? I, I believe so. I think, I think the uh, excitement about getting into electric vehicles and composites um, it causes a lot of upfront research and development, but then it hits into the face of the reality of, you know, the electrical grid, um, environmental considerations, these sort of realities of living in America, especially where no one, yeah. where no one wants more power lines in their backyard and et cetera, et cetera. Um, so it, it, in a lot of ways, it's, it's the same as uh, renewable energies and how that stagnated a bit when uh, people don't want to have windmills in their backyard. So, yeah. So I think these are these are, these are real situations that could cause um, stagnation of these technologies for the next five or ten years. Beyond five to ten years, do you see us ultimately moving to electric vehicles? Yeah, it's, it, it's inevitable. I think the race is going to be between creation, creating um, good hydrogen or another um, fuel type of engine, and if they can't do that economically, they'll have to go to electric vehicles. No question. Let's focus in on North America for a moment. Where do you see North America excelling throughout the next decade or two? If you really want to talk about um, uh, America, I think the real growth is in aerospace. I think there's a, the design changes in aerospace, especially in the jet engine, the turbines, uh, the gearing components and how these metals are made to get the weight out and how they're heat treated to give the... Um, the, the fatigue strength and the strength that it, it, it wants to, to for that application. Um, I think automotive trends will still likely be led by American companies, both you know the traditional companies and uh, others like Tesla and Rivian. So I think that's uh, that's an important uh, consideration going forward. Forward, I think uh, as far as America goes, leadership, medical devices. Uh, Medical procedures using uh, electron beam, laser therapies, induction, these are, uh, these are technologies used by, by heat tree processors. Th these will be led by Americans, and this is a new business for some of these companies to get into at the end of the day. I, I believe that uh, firmly that the manufacturing will keep returning to the U.S. as you know, the, the trend towards these fair trade uh, that raises the want to invest in America you know, in manufacturing and the renewed interest in good jobs that you hear from politicians. I think that that bodes well for, for America's uh, growth, for sure. Which driver do you think is more important for America's growth, low energy costs or the political trade climate? Yeah, I think the, politically, uh, the political trade climate is, is, uh, is, is, is absolutely the most important thing. If you take China, for instance, right? I look at the China trade war is not really a war, but it's finally, uh, you know, heightened public discussion on what should have always been happening, and a, a, a continued sort of robust negotiation between the U.S. and China on specific trade items uh, should have been happening and is happening now. So I think that uh, the, the U.S. is putting their foot down harder than we have before. And so once that settles down, I think a better trade situation benefiting both countries can become a reality. 
When we come back, we'll talk about some really interesting topics such as Industry 4.0 and the big warning that Gary has for companies getting involved, as well as cybersecurity and working with the younger generation. But first, a special word of thanks goes out to Ann Goyer and all of the good people over at the Industrial Heating Equipment Association for their support of Heat Treat Radio. In case you didn't know it, AIA provides top caliber training for many of your heat treating needs. In fact, on September 24th and 25th, AIA is bringing three of their most popular training courses to the home of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in Cleveland, Ohio. Whether it's their combustion seminar, their safety standard seminar, or their process heating seminar, someone on your heat treating team will find one or more of these seminars valuable. You can find out more about these seminars by visiting IEA's website at www.ihea.org. I next asked Gary about how the heat treat business world has changed over the past decade. Here's what he had to say. One is I think customers have far less technical staff than they had 10 years ago, and that pushes companies like ours to uh, to offer much more services and technical support and maintenance throughout the the uh, the life of the, the machinery that we sell. I think the a, a huge issue is the legal issues forcing companies uh, to pay more attention to terms and conditions and safety and contractual issues. I think that's become much more prominent over what when I was younger, like the handshake type climate of 20 years ago, right? I think that the push towards Industry 4.0 has companies approaching us wanting um, a lot more automation connectivity while simultaneously they want to increase the digitization of data, right? And so this trend, I think, towards smart factories uh, could provide a rush to provide a lot of data without understanding if it's productive or not. And that can lead to a very costly system very, very uh, mass amounts of non-production data, mass uh, non-productive data. This this happened in the early days of ERP and ISO implementation, and I see it, I see it happening again. So perhaps we're swinging too far with data collection and collecting data just because we can. Yeah, uh, usually what happens, I think, is that companies that aren't used to data collection will will hire people that are used to data collection. And so they won't be as concerned about getting the key points of their process to make sure the process is robust, but they want to just uh, capture every piece of data. That is a very costly thing for for people to both implement in the machinery and implement on their factory floor, right? And and so I think people should measure measure twice and cut once, and you should you know you should really uh, think hard about what your goals are and you know uh, in, in before you lay out that smart factory. I think a lot of this industry 4.0 it was driven by the Germans uh, back in back in the mid 2000s. And in a lot of ways it was driven to uh, give a competitive edge to European companies over low-cost countries like China or in India or what have you. Uh, and the thought there was that uh, their advantage in science and computerization would give them the ability to have a factory with far less people or uh, more knowledge, you know. And at the end of the day, and it's a, it's been a top-down approach uh, pushing uh, different manufacturers into the industry four points so they can get this production data. And and uh, I would believe that heat treaters would be very concerned about 
people coming in and telling them they need, you know, 30 data points on every uh, on every part that they make when only uh, 15 are relevant to the quality of that part. And 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 I think that is tantamount in what uh, the heat treaters need to push back on, which is information that is useful and productive versus information for just information's sake. They'll say to us, okay, on this crankshaft, we need these 40 data points and, 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 and we're going to force people to do that. And then you'll say to them, okay, in order to do that, we have to destructively cut every fifth piece. We have to do this. We have to do that. And they'll just say, no, 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 our, this is what our R and D people want. So you have to do this. And then we'll say, okay, um, this is the cost to do this. And then what do you what do you want for maintenance? And they say, well, for maintenance, we don't want to have anybody that you, that knows about the machine. So we want you to prepackage all of the power supply in three boxes. So if there's a problem with part of the power supply, you'll take this part out and just slip a new part in without having any maintenance intelligence. And we'll say to them, well, okay, uh, we get that. So instead of a a $500 capacitor. Now you give us 30 grand to redo the inside of the power supply in a works yeah. in a drawer. And so then, so then that's, that's where their engineering and production people want to push you. And then you get with purchasing and purchasing is like, what are you talking about? We're not doing any of that. You know, we, we want to buy a $500. We, we want the lowest cost equipment and the $500 capacitor. We don't want to have the, the, uh, the works in the drawer. And this is this is so we're at, we're at this cross point. I really believe we're at this cross point. If you're in Germany, okay, uh, because they invented uh, Industry 4.0 as they're calling it. Um, if you go to Germany, they put a lot more muscle into this, and I think that's why some of their competitive disadvantage is happening. But if you come into America, um, they're asking for it, but they're not killing you yet. But they're going to. You you remember when? Um, you remember when ISO first came in, right? And everybody made the same mistake with ISO. They let the ISO uh, auditors tell them that they needed to document every little thing they did in their entire company. And most people's company got brought down to a standstill. And then over time, they developed it down to just the most important things you needed for processes. And then your plant ran better. And and that, that's where we are right now in some of this industry 4.0. I don't want to sound too negative because I think it has a lot of positives to it. Um, I really do. But the way the implementation of it will make it or break it for sure. But that is the way new technologies are adopted. It's like when a child gets a new toy for Christmas. The first several days, they spend 100% of their time with it because it's a shiny and new, but later on, they either forget about it completely or strike a more sensible balance of when to play with that, that new toy. 100% correct, but if you're setting up a, uh, setting up a $100 million factory and you, get it, and you get it wrong, that's a big problem. Gary, let's jump back to the question about how the heat treat business world has changed over the past decade. You mentioned customers have far less technical expertise. You mentioned that more, uh, the more litigious environment that we live in and the importance of those terms and conditions. And then the demand for data and the emergence of Industry 4.0 and perhaps our somewhat mindless collecting of data. Anything else jump to mind? Well, I think the difference between companies that are so-called full-service companies and ones that aren't um, is, is, a, is a huge issue for uh, heat treaters to be selecting equipment from. You know, the, one of the negative trends 
I think has been a, a huge uh, separation between engineering and production departments and purchasing departments, especially especially in the larger companies. So that that puts more emphasis on price than the real needs of what that company look for sometimes, right? And yeah. in the short ter- term, that can that can favor the 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 price leading suppliers on the short run, the people that give a, a lower price. But in the longer run. Uh, these these customers need need support. As I said, they just don't have the the people in there, and um, and and it can it, it can not serve them well if they don't work with the right company. Let me throw out some geopolitical names and tell us what pops to mind. Brexit. Yeah, I don't think Brexit has uh, very much effect on. It, it certainly is, is not going to affect the way the media says, because uh, at the end of the day, I believe European Union regulations have added costs and dissuaded innovation in Europe. Therefore, I believe Brexit actually is good for the British because it possibly leads to more pressure uh, uh, for other people to leave the union. And they're going to open up to have less regulation and, um, and, and cost. It's very costly to do business in Europe. China. Any additional thoughts on China? I think China's going to be a, a huge, it is a huge trading po- uh, uh, partner for us today, but I think it's going to be a, a much more equitable one in the future once we get over this uh, short-term tension between them. And once we get our, our, our sort of our win-win um, attitudes in line with each other, I, I think it's going to be a, a phenomenal trading partner going forward. North Korea. I don't think they have any effect on us today economically. Um it could become a new market in the future, but today they have no effect on us economically whatsoever. How about Venezuela? So, you know, Venezuela, when I was younger, was a serious energy player. Um, we sold a lot of equipment in Venezuela, and Venezuela was obviously one of the major energy exporters in the world. And um, so reviving their economy and becoming a market, uh, if they can do that, I think the I think that'd be good for especially the South American hemisphere area, uh, but um, but um, unless they get their political stances straight, they're just going to remain where they are. Brazil, yeah, Brazil sort of lost its way in the last couple of years from a manufacturing standpoint, and um, it really a socialistic trend uh, in Brazil that took away um, a lot of the. Um, uh, desire to invest in Brazil. Uh, they had lots of union issues, uh, a, a tremendous amount of union issues, especially with uh, things like pensions and 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 extra extra costs like that. And then secondarily, their uh, their their stance on imports and how they um, they stop um, other countries from in, uh, exporting to Brazil has 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 turned off a lot of people from investing in Brazil. Um, so. The, the, the new president down there says he's going to bring back fair trade. And if he does that, I think that Brazil could play, become a world, uh, a world player again. Let's talk for a minute about U.S. immigration how, and how it's impacting your business and the heat treat economy generally. Oof. Yeah. So, you know, U.S. immigration, that's mostly a southern border issue, in my opinion. And it's, it's mostly an issue with people from South America, not really people from Mexico. I think it ha- this has to be worked out by by Congress, and Congress is just being silly in the view that it isn't an issue, you know. And it's been an issue for 40 years, and they have no answers for it. But I think we have to have a system in place, 
and uh, uh, like we have for years and years and years. And outside of asylum, anybody that wants to come in should enter through the system. How about the U.S. labor market for you? And what are you hearing from your customers regarding their ability to find qualified workers? For my customers, um, I hear that all the time. I mean, the, the, the way I look at um, the labor market is, you know, I've been with this company for 33 years, and many of the people that are in our group have more years than I do. You know, I, I think out of something like over, we have like 3,200 in our group, and I would say that uh, half of those employees have over 12 or 15 years with the company, right? So one way we've been able to hang on to people is by having 40 companies globally, we give the people the opportunity to travel to these companies or relocate to another area of the U.S. or to another part of the world. And I think if you can keep the younger people challenged, give them this ability to try another um, area of their life, pay them fairly, and and more most importantly, I think if you can show them a future through uh, a well-developed succession planning effort, so they they think that they have a chance to uh, get promoted in the future, I think they'll stay with you, you know, for 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 a long time. Let's talk about two more topics: the new North America Trade Agreement (USMCA) and then cybersecurity. What are your thoughts on? USMCA. I think the USMCA, I, 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 the way I understand the legislation um, is that a big part of it is raising wages um, in the lower cost areas of Mexico. And I think that evening that flow of, will, evening that wages out will even out the flow of trade between the three countries versus just flowing to the lowest cost country because of the low wages. So, um, Personally, I think that wage increasing is a good thing, right? Henry Henry Ford proved that out a long time ago when he gave his workers unheard of type wages. I I think that at the end of the day, that um, that that it will create a better middle class, and that feeds into the economy like a gas pedal and becomes self sustaining, right? Even if inflation rises a few percentage point, right? So I I think people shouldn't buy the media hype about things like. Uh, robots doing away with a lot of the jobs in the United States. To me, all this talk is stems from um, academics and politicians who haven't spent much time of their life in the business. So I think I, I think we have we have a situation right now where our unemployment is below four percent, right? So that means that most most people that want to work are working. So how do you grow that economy? I think you 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 grow that econ- economy by paying people more money. And then they can use that money to buy what they want. And then, like I said, it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. Last question, cybersecurity. What are you seeing? We've seen a tremendous increase in email intrusions with people tricking our customers into remitting payments uh, to scammed accounts. So this this is especially bad because it puts the strains of our relationships with our customers, right? Because at the end of the day, no, there's no clear person to blame. It's this unknown person in the internet. Um, as an example, we had a, a customer recently that gave us a $900,000 down payment and, um, and he remitted it to a bank account that he, he had received uh, on a scammed email where they had taken our invoice that we had uh, put into the email 
and they had changed it to their bank number and and so the 900,000 was put into that scammer's bank account and they withdrew about $120,000 of it before the the uh the proper government officials could could uh, shut it down. No, we have got that back now and there's been some arrests made but um, I can think of uh, 20 or 30 of these situations happening just in the last five or six months. Have you changed the way you do business because of it? Yeah, what we've done is we've we, we've gone out to try to tell our customers that um, we will no longer put any sort of remittance uh, information in email form anymore. Uh, we will only do that in in a in an encoded or encrypted manner, um, which we will send directly to their accounts uh, payable uh, people. And um, if and, and we will uh, also duplicate uh, a message to them of what the bank uh, they should be using is, not the account number and what have you. And so when things line up correct, they should remit the payment. Otherwise, they should treat every uh, one that has some skeptical information as not pay us. We'd rather not get paid than give it to a scammer. The other problem I see on cybersecurity uh, cyber is, again, going back at this Industry 4.0, uh, because these, I think the people that are uh, trying to implement this smart factory, or people like to call it the Internet of Things, right? Um, it's a highly digitized uh, handshake between machinery and then up and down to management, uh, shop floor management all the way through upper management of the company. These are easy targets for pirates at the end of the day. I think that's a... That's a, that's that's an important thing to think about. Uh, most companies uh, most companies do not have the capabilities of really um, protecting themselves from 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 uh, uh, some these kind of threats. So I think simpler is better in any sort of these uh, areas. And just as a little bit of color, I'm I'm a an autonomous vehicle skeptic, and and I'm an autonomous I'm an autonomous vehicle skeptic for two reasons. One is the sensors needed for these truly uh, autonomous vehicles and and roads being all autonomous and transportation being autonomous, they're definitely not good enough yet in all weather conditions. But I think the most important thing is, uh, unlike airplanes where you can afford to have multiple systems, it, people are never going to be able to afford a vehicle that has multiple computer systems on that. So I think the potential for hacking for lots of reasons, for economic reasons, political reasons, terrorism reasons, or just because uh, some bad behavior on some kid in his backyard uh, can 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 affect this uh, this autonomous vehicle information grid. So I, I have my I have my doubts about autonomous vehicles because of cybersecurity. Gary was very gracious with his time and answered a boatload of questions, many of which we were able to include in this podcast. You'll notice that I asked Gary to keep it non-commercial, so he hardly ever mentioned any of his company names or any specific products. We would, however, like to like for you to know that Inductotherm Group is exhibiting at Therm Process in Gifa in Hall 10, Stand D42, which perfectly straddles both of those shows. If you're headed to Dusseldorf this year, I'd strongly encourage you to stop by and meet Gary and take a look at all the products he so politely refrained from mentioning on today's podcast. If you'd like to get in touch with Gary, feel free to email me directly at doug at heattreattoday.com and I'll put you in touch with Gary. If you'd like more Heat Treat Radio, you can simply Google Heat Treat Radio. Believe it or not, we're the first thing that comes up. Apparently, no one else is using those three words. From there, 
you'll be able to link over to our website where you'll find 18 other Heat Treat Radio episodes, including one on Inductotherm founder, Hank Rowan. Also, if you have a topic you'd like to see covered on Heat Treat Radio, please contact me directly by email. Again, that's Doug at heattreattoday.com. Don't forget that additional support for Heat Treat Radio is provided by the Industrial Heating Equipment Association, IEA, where technical training is on the schedule for this September 24th and 25th in Cleveland, Ohio. Check out their website, www.iheea.org, and learn more about the Combustion Seminar, Safety and Standards Seminar, and their Process Heating Seminar. That's www.ihea.org. This and every other episode of Heat Treat Radio is the sole property of Heat Treat Today and may not be reproduced in part or in full without prior written approval from Heat Treat Today. Jonathan Lloyd from Butler, Pennsylvania produced and mixed this episode and is also responsible for much of the music you hear. I'm your host, Doug Glenn. Thanks for listening. 